Hello, I'm Ryan Tate, and welcome to History of the Pacific Northwest, Episode 12, Voyage of the Columbia, Part 3. Before we get started, I have a couple of announcements to make. The podcast has reached over 1,100 total downloads, something that I'm very excited about. Thank you to everyone who has been consistently listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate the support. Which leads me to my second announcement. I have set up a donation program for the podcast as I now have to pay a monthly subscription fee to keep the podcast going on my hosting platform. Not that I mind, because I am enjoying putting this program together. However, if you feel inclined to help support the show financially, it would be much appreciated. Donations will help cover the cost of hosting the show, and I am hoping to launch an advertising campaign to grow the podcast even further. If you want to give, please go to historypnwpodcast.podbean.com. That's historypnwpodcast.podbean.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page where you will see a button that says Donate. That will take you to the donation page. There are options for recurring monthly donations and for one-time donations. If you do not wish to or are unable to contribute financially, but you still want to support the show, please just rate the podcast wherever you are listening, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or any other channel this podcast can be found. Ratings help boost the show's profile and make it easier for others to find. Additionally, please recommend the show to people you know who are interested in the Pacific Northwest and or its history. Thank you again, and now let's get on with the show. When last we left our American captains, John Kendrick and Robert Gray, they had just finished wintering in Nootka Sound. In preparation for the following trading season, Kendrick had ordered a makeshift forge built, and his blacksmith created 450 iron chisels to trade for sea otter pelts. It would likely be a rough trading season as they still had no copper or muskets to trade with the natives of the region. The British had already been trading in the vicinity and came significantly more prepared. Regardless, Gray was determined to have a successful trading season. Back home, big changes had taken place since Kendrick and Gray had left. By spring of 1789, the United States had adopted the new constitution replacing the Articles of Confederation. George Washington was elected as the first president of the United States. Jonathan Grout and George Leonard were elected as the first congressmen whose districts included parts of Boston. Tristram Dalton and George Cabot were the first Massachusetts senators. All of these congressmen would be representing Kendrick and Gray's home in the new federal government. Gray would take the sloop, Lady Washington, out to find somewhere the chisels would pay for a decent quantity of furs. The two departed with cheers and cannon salutes as usual. His first customer was a chief by the name of Cleeskanaw. Cleeskanaw was welcoming and relaxed with the Americans and sold Gray a decent quantity of furs for a fair number of chisels, but not enough for Gray to stick around for long. Gray would next encounter a chief by the name of Wiccanish. Gray and his men did get to have a spectacular chance to witness Chief Wiccanish lead a gray whale hunt. If you recall episode 2 of the podcast on the Native Americans of the Pacific Northwest, this will be a familiar scene. Harpoons and sealskin floats were used to hinder the whale and wear it down. When the whale no longer had any will or energy to fight left, 
it was lanced by Wiccanish himself. Divers sewed the behemoth's mouth shut to prevent it from sinking and towed it back to the village. Haswell recalled in his journal, Wiccanish's main wife lead a ritual of giving thanks to the whale for its sacrifice and adorned it with fresh water and eagle feathers. I say main wife of Wiccanish because polygamy was a common practice for the Native Americans of Vancouver Island. A man could have any number of wives. Having several wives was typically a sign of wealth, power, and or status. Wiccanish had started a lucrative sea otter monopoly in his surrounding area. He had already bought up sea otter pelts from his neighbors, making sure that any foreign traders in the area had to go through him. Wiccanish showed only mild interest in the iron chisels and offered little in exchange for them. Gray eventually had to sail away without a single fur from the powerful chief, who was more than content to wait for the British to return with the goods he truly wanted. Robert Gray took the Lady Washington southward to the northern coast of what is now Washington State. Gray had better luck here and managed to procure some furs for a decent price. Still, the iron chisels were not as coveted as other goods such as copper or firearms. Gray decided to return to Nootka Sound to rendezvous with the Columbia. Along the way, Gray spotted the Iphigenia and Northwest America, two of John Mears' ships. Gray was disheartened to see the British already back on the trade circuit. He knew he would have to hurry if he wanted any chance of procuring the sea otter pelts he needed. Gray found Kendrick and the Columbia on shore at Marvina's Bay. To Gray's surprise, and I can only assume annoyance, Kendrick had decided he would not sail around Nootka Sound to trade for sea otter pelts, but rather he elected to build a small fort like the one John Mears had built. Kendrick thought constructing this small fort a better plan than doing the one thing that they had come there to do. As questionable as the decision to build a fort was, Kendrick was able to at least resupply the Lady Washington with a fresh batch of iron chisels. Gray, in fearing that he would soon be overtaken by Mears's men, hurried north to find somewhere the British had not yet been. While en route north, Gray was hailed by a Spanish vessel. Gray could not believe his rotten luck. First, the British had been aggressively trading before the Americans had arrived, and now, the Americans risked an international incident with Spain, who believed that the entirety of the Pacific coast belonged only to them. Gray sent two of his officers over to the Spanish vessel, which was captained by our old friend Jose Esteban Martinez, who you may remember from our episode on the Nootka Sound controversy. Martinez inquired the officers as to what they were doing in Spanish waters. Gray said that they were certainly not there to trade furs, merely doing a little bit of exploring. Martinez sent his own pilot aboard the Lady Washington to examine their passport. It is speculated that when the passport was examined, the name of the ship, Lady Washington, was somehow misinterpreted. The misinterpretation led Martinez to believe that it had been personally signed by George Washington himself. Spain had allied itself with the United States to support its revolt against the British and George Washington was well known after his victory in the American War of Independence. If the story is true, and the passport was misinterpreted, Martinez wanted nothing to do with getting on the general's bad side. Before the two ships parted ways, Martinez asked if anyone else was in Nootka Sound, and Gray, seeing an awesome opportunity to hinder his competitors, said that yes, there were in fact several British sailors weirdly flying Portuguese flags 
who were trading in the area. Martinez had been given full authority by his government to seize any ship that he crossed around Vancouver Island, but he decided that it would be best to let the Americans go and focus his attention on investigating what the British were doing. Gray and Martinez parted ways with gifts and cannon salutes. Gray breathed a sigh of relief and probably was happy to think that the Spanish captain might spend his time harassing and driving away all the British ships in the region. With little luck on Vancouver Island, the Lady Washington went much further north to search for untapped fur markets. Gray sailed above the Queen Charlotte Islands and was near the Alaskan coast when near disaster struck. Robert Gray, in his determination to make this venture successful, had been pushing his ship harder than ever before. He made unwise maneuvers and continuously brought the ship close to danger. While veering up the coast, the sloop was pinned in a rocky cove. The tide would come in, pushing the ship upwards, only for it to slam back down upon the rocks. The crew had to act fast if they were going to save their ship. As it was being lifted and dropped onto the rocks, the longboat was dispatched with an anchor inside. The anchor was rowed out away from the cove into the deeper water. Once the anchor was secure, the crew would pull upon the anchor line each time the ship was lifted by the tide. With each lift, they pulled the ship out to sea a few feet before it dropped back upon the rocks. Repeating this process over and over, they managed to free the Lady Washington from the rocks. The rocks had severely damaged the copper sheathing on the bottom of the ship, but luckily the hull was still intact. Gray decided it would be best to turn southward and visit the Queen Charlotte Islands. That decision proved to be a good one. At his first stop, Gray bought 200 furs for one iron chisel apiece. He was told that if he could wait, even more furs would be sold to him. Unfortunately, Gray's impatience got the best of him again, and he continued sailing south. His mistake cost him, as later that same year, William Douglas would stop at the same location and nab up several hundred furs. Gray went further south to the Houston Stewart Channel in the southern Queen Charlotte Islands. Here was the home of the Haida people. The Haida were one of the most powerful indigenous nations of the North Pacific. At this time, the Haida had a fearsome reputation for raiding and war. They also had a reputation for art and architecture. They numbered in the 10,000s, and their settlements were made up of the famous cedar longhouses, as well as elaborate and beautiful totem poles. Unfortunately for Gray, he did not get to see any of it up close, as he did all of his trading from the deck of his sloop. In spite of their reputation, the Haida people were very welcoming with Gray's crew. Mutual respect on both sides kept the trade relations fair and friendly. Here, Robert Gray put everything on the table. Everything non-essential was traded for sea otter pelts, and even personal items were given to the Haida if it meant a few more pelts. Gray kept a log of what the men contributed so that they may be repaid once they returned to Boston. Gray was finally happy about his position. His hold was stocked, and he procured as many furs as he possibly could have. It was now time to proceed with the mission with his head held high. The Lady Washington returned to Nootka Sound on June 17, 1789. Gray came back to the fort that Martinez had said he would establish on Hog Island. It was professional and sturdy, unlike the fort, and I say that in air quotes, that John Mears had established on the opposite side of Nootka Sound. 
Martinez had found Kendrick and his makeshift hut and demanded to know what the American was doing. Kendrick told Martinez much the same as Gray had. They were on a voyage of discovery, but they were in need of ship repairs. I don't think Martinez ever bought the story the two Bostonians were trying to sell him. In fact, I think Martinez knew exactly what the Americans were up to, and I will tell you why. In the midst of meeting with the two captains, and particularly with John Kendrick, it seems that Martinez and the Americans were hitting it off. They had nothing but friendly interactions and even helped one another a great deal. Martinez, who willingly accepted that the Americans were only there to make repairs during their voyage of discovery, asked if he could employ Kendrick's blacksmith for a time. Kendrick happily obliged and Martinez used the blacksmith to forge leg irons for securing prisoners, the same irons which he would use on the crews of John Mears' fleet. You may recall a few episodes back on my coverage of the Nootka Sound controversy, Martinez seized several British vessels for invading Spanish waters. Well, it seems that Martinez and Kendrick may have made a deal. Martinez would rid Nootka Sound of the British, and Kendrick would supply the equipment and manpower to make that happen. Given all this, it is pretty clear that Martinez knew that Kendrick and Gray were fur traders, but saw them as the lesser of two evils. All captains, including Martinez, his British prisoners, and Captain Kendrick and Robert Gray, were together for a celebration of the 4th of July. Toasts were made to the King of Spain, and Kendrick, ever the Patriot, proposed 13 toasts, one for each of the United States. After these celebrations, it was back to work for Gray and Kendrick. It was here that Kendrick made another one of his inexplicable moves. John Kendrick decided that he and Gray would swap ships, Gray would take all the furs, sail to Hawaii for supplies, and then sail to China. And Kendrick would remain at Nootka. Gray would now be captain of the significantly larger vessel Columbia. There is a ton of speculation regarding Kendrick's decision to swap vessels. Some believe that Kendrick felt as if he hadn't produced enough as leader of the voyage and thought it best that he personally go and procure more sea otter pelts. Some think that Kendrick always liked the idea of piloting the smaller and easier Lady Washington. Perhaps he thought the sloop was more well-suited for the rocky Pacific Northwest coast. I'm certain that he had his reasons, but they are unknown to us. Before departing, John Kendrick's son, John Jr., requested to transfer to the service of Martinez. Kendrick's son had taken a liking to the Spaniard and saw an opportunity to earn an officer's commission. John Sr. acquiesced and bid his son a tearful goodbye. He told his son that there is nothing greater than living a life of goodwill. With that, Martinez, Kendrick, and Gray parted ways. The cannon salutes and cheers which accompanied these goodbyes were more than any before. Gray headed for China, and John Kendrick Sr. watched his son disappear behind the landscape as he sailed out of Nootka Sound in search of more sea otter pelts. That is where we will leave our story for the day. Once again, we end an episode with Gray and Kendrick being separated from one another. This time, it was planned though. As a reminder, if you want information on how to donate to the show, please visit historypnw.podbean.com or check out the show notes. As always, thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast. 
and I will see you next time.